This message was recorded at Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our goal is to faithfully preach the Word of God for the salvation of sinners, the strengthening of believers, and the glory of God. Please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org and listen for more information at the conclusion of this message. Would y'all turn with me to uh, Matthew chapter 13? That's where we'll read from this morning, the 13th chapter of Matthew, and we'll start in we'll start in verse 44 and read down through 52. Matthew 13 verse 44. <clears throat> Would you stand? <clears throat> Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid, and for the joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who, when he had found one, one pearl of great price, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was cast into the sea and gathered some of every kind which when it was full, they drew to shore, and they sat down and gathered the good into vessels, but threw the bad away. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come forth, separate the wicked from among the just, and cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Jesus said to them, Have you understood all these things? And they said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he said to them, Therefore every scribe instructed concerning the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who brings out of his treasure things new and old. Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we do uh, come this morning in the name of Jesus. Lord, looking to you, thanking you. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you, Lord, that we can say, uh, not because of who we are or what we've done, but because of who you are and because of what you've done in our behalf, we can say it is well with my soul. Lord, even as Christians, we, we pray and have to ask, help us, enable us, realize the significance of that. So that our hearts are set on the right things. So that we see the, the empty things of this world that are here for a brief time and gone. So that we see them for what they are. And so we see the infinite worth of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that our hearts are set on You and on heavenly things. So that You are our treasure. What we live for, what we look forward to dying for, and whom we will live forever with. Use Your Word, we pray, and the proclamation of Your Word to give us right perspective 
We're dependent upon You and we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. You can be seated. Is it well with your soul today? If today were the day that the clouds roll back and the trumpet sounds and the Lord descends with the shout of a voice of an archangel, is it well? Is it well with your soul? Can you say, like the author of that song, and authors of Scripture. Can you say, Lord, haste the day. Even so, Lord Jesus, come. Probably the answer to that question is directly tied to uh, what this passage we have before us today talks about. Directly tied to what we value what we consider to be true treasure. In fact, I don't think probably is the right word. I think the answer to that question, is it well with my soul, is directly related to what my heart places value on. We look at three parables this morning. Well, actually four parables. Explain that as we go, but uh, four parables in verses 44 through 52. And I want to take the first two together. They have uh, virtually this, this, well, they do have the same main point. They just put it across in uh, a little bit different way. And then take the last two separately. Now, I want us to remember, uh, because this is all one discourse, if you, uh, you know, if you look back a few pages maybe, and you're looking at chapter 12 and 13, especially when you get to chapter 13 with the parable of the sower, this, this is all one discourse here. So we're, this is one conversation, um, uh, you could say, or again, one discourse that Jesus presents to, uh, to the Jews here, to His disciples and to the Jews. So I want us to keep in mind Jesus' exhortation If you look back just for a moment in verse 9, He who has ears, let him hear. And again in verse 43, the latter part of that verse, the same exhortation, He who has ears, let him hear. And as we talked about uh, previously, the idea there, and I'm getting this from the parable of the sower, um, the idea there, hearing, and the way that Jesus is talking about hearing, is to, is to understand, it is to, to receive, to digest. Not just to hear audibly, but to, to hear with the understanding, to hear with the mind. The Word of God comes in the physical ear or in the eye if you're reading. But to reach the heart, it has to go through the mind. And we've got to have proper understanding. 
to realize the significance of what he's saying. So I want us to keep that in mind. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, the, the first three parables here are uh, what are called by those who, who uh, understand literature um, far better than I. <laughs> They're called similes. Now, the reason for that is this, because Jesus is likening something to something. Now, he does that. That's what a parable is, basically, most of the time, right? We describe it often as this. A parable is, is where Jesus, or any author for that matter, takes um, something natural, something that we all understand perfectly, that, we, that is familiar to our experience, and uses that to explain spiritual realities or, you know, some other truth. That's what you have in a parable. But a simile is different just in this way, that uh, in, in a regular parable, that is implied. In other words, you can, you can clearly see um, that Jesus is using something natural to talk about something spiritual. But in a simile, He just explicitly says it. So, you, you have the use of the word like. And that's what you see in verse 44, in verse 45, and again in verse 47. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant. The kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet or a net. So these are similes. Jesus is using something um, familiar to the experience of His hearers. Um, treasure in a hidden, uh, hidden treasure in a field. A merchant, a dragnet. He's using natural, physical things that are familiar to his hearers to explain spiritual truths. Sounds kind of odd on the surface. You know, the kingdom of heaven is like a uh, dragnet. But you see, as he gives the parable, how how it how it makes sense. Or the kingdom of heaven is like a hidden treasure. Well, in in what sense? And he tells us, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant, using natural things to explain spiritual. So again, let's read the first two again, and we'll take those together. The first two because they have uh, the same, the same main point, which I would define as this: it's, it's, it's just talking about um, the infinite worth of Jesus, or you could just simply say the value of Jesus. That's number one, verse forty-four. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. So in this simile, there's a man, there's a field, there's a hidden treasure in the field. The man finds the hidden treasure. He is so overjoyed that uh, he sells everything that he has in order to acquire that field. Now, there's some obvious... uh, uh, wisdom there, shrewdness. In other words, he doesn't, before he purchases the field, he doesn't go out announcing the hidden treasure, right? <laughs> Everybody, people that already have the money would be running down ahead of him buying it. So what he does is hide it. He hides it again. He's probably digging out there for some reason, you know, laying a water line or something like that. And uh, he, he finds the treasure. And he says, oh, and, and he realizes the value of it. It's priceless. In fact, it's, it's worth more than everything else this man owns. And so what he does is hide it again, runs and sells everything that he has. That's going to be significant. 
He goes back and buys the field. In other words, uh, he has to have this treasure. This treasure is so valuable in his estimation that he has to do whatever it takes to acquire it. And then similarly, in verse 45, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Now, just to make a little comparison here, again, you have a, of a man, you have a man, in this case a merchant, and he's, he's searching for pearls. This is probably the way that he makes his living, searching for fine pearls. But he finds one that is far more valuable than any of the rest. In fact, it is so valuable that, again, he, he esteems it worth uh, selling everything that he has in order to acquire it. Now, there are a little bit of uh, uh, different nuances here. So, for example, it, it appears that in the first parable, the man is just, just kind of stumbles on this treasure. He's just, he's just sort of minding his own business, as we would say. And uh, he digs up this hidden treasure. So, it's, it's what, you know, what many people would call happenstance. But unlike that, in the second parable, this man is searching. A merchant in search of. He's, he's seeking, he's searching, he's looking for fine pearls. He, he wants valuable pearls. You know, maybe he's trading and that kind of thing. He's going around looking for a really valuable one. He's seeking and he finds one of great value and sells all that he has and buys it. Now, I do think in most cases, parables are intended to teach one main point. In most cases. So it's a lot of times it's a little dangerous to try to figure out what every piece of it means. Um, sometimes uh, the other, you know, the little details do sometimes have significance. So, for example, in the in the parable of the sower and the seed in, in verses one through nine, um, each little thing has certain significance. But one reason we know that is because Jesus plainly says that in in uh, verse twenty four he begins to give the uh, I'm sorry, not verse twenty four, verse eighteen. He begins to explain the parable of the sower, and and he tells us what these things mean. It's it's the same way with the parable of the wheat and the tares. In verse 24, he gives the parable. Then in verse 36, he explains it, and uh, he says, the, the one who sows good seed is the son of man. He's starting to explain the detail. The field is the world, verse 38. The good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. But oftentimes... The parables just communicate one main point, and the details uh, don't, uh, you know, necessarily represent a specific thing. Well, in these two parables, again, one main point is communicated, although the details are different. So let me say this. For example, I don't think uh, the second parable 
teaches anything different than the first parable in terms of who initiates this find. In, in the first parable, it's, it's as though the man just stumbles across it. This goes really good with Reformed theology because, because the man is just minding his own business. In fact, it goes really well with my own experience. And uh, the man is just minding his own business, so to speak. He's, he's, he's not pursuing a hidden treasure. As far as we know, he's, he's just out there doing his thing, but he, he finds a, a hidden treasure. And there's a, there's a good picture there, we could say, of how God just invades our life, what I like to call the grace invasion. You know, you're just kind of, well, you're not kind of, but you're, you're helpless, you're destitute. And you have no interest in God or the things of God, but then God just breaks in and invades your space. I know that's very un-American, but it's, uh, it's very like God. And thank, thank God for that. Else we would all be doomed. So He just invades. You know, you're, there you are, and then all of a sudden, bam! God opens your eyes to the treasures of Christ. But in the second one, you have a man searching. goes very well with Arminian theology, doesn't it? you got this guy seeking. We hear this all the time. Everybody's seeking. Everybody's out there seeking, and all we need to do is try to direct them the right way. Um, well, um, what that sort of implies is, at least to me, what that sort of implies is that people are just by nature out there seeking. That is, unregenerate people with with no help from God, somehow are searching for truth. They, they want God, they just haven't found Him yet. I don't think that's at all what the Scripture teaches. In fact, um, you, know, you can go, for example, to Romans 3, and Paul clearly says there are none who seek God. Now, that's all-inclusive terminology. None. There are none who seek God. There are none who do good, Paul says. Or actually, the Holy Spirit says through Paul and through the writer of the Psalms. There are none who do good. None who seek God. So, well then, this seems to be a misrepresentation. Well, no, I don't think so. Because again, Jesus is not teaching here about how people come to the knowledge of Christ. How people come to salvation. That's not the point of the parable. So, the two parables can differ in that aspect, and there's no contradiction. Jesus has another point in view. But let me just say this, since I've mentioned all those things. Um, every person who is saved does seek. And that's not a contradiction of what I just said either, although it may sound like it on the surface. God makes seekers out of those whom He saves. We're not seeking truth initially until God changes us, changes our wills, changes our desires, and makes us truth seekers. So in reality, um, it's always God that initiates it. It's always a, it's always a grace invasion. And sometimes it does seem like just an instantaneous, like, like you were just oblivious to God, 
And then, bam, He opens your eyes and turns the lights on and you see the treasure of Christ. And then other times, it does seem like, from a human perspective, there's a long seeking process. But again, other Scripture uh, makes it clear that God initiates even that. So, yes, uh, both of these are, are, even though... How to how to how coming to Christ takes place is not the point of the parable. Uh, nevertheless, both of these are accurate representations, of course, because Jesus is is giving them. So, what is the main point of each little parable? Well, again, it's not how we are saved per se, but it's it's the value of the one who saves us, the infinite. Worth of Jesus. That's that's the main point. That kingdom citizens, kingdom people, have a different perspective from the rest of the world concerning spiritual things, concerning the things of God, concerning Jesus Christ. In that, our eyes are opened to His majesty, His beauty. The glory of His work and salvation in redeeming a people to Himself. Our eyes are open to His infinite worth. And let me say it this way. Our eyes are open to His infinite worth and His inherent worth. Jesus is of infinite value. That is, you can't place any limits on it. And it is inherent to His person, who He is. Now, what do I mean by that? I think that, let me just kind of give you the flip side of it, or the, uh, the opposite. Most things that we think of as valuable are things to which we have assigned value. Now, this is just kind of the opposite of inherent value. In other words, uh, like if you may have a $1 bill, and uh, even that, they say, is not worth a dollar anymore, but uh, you may have a $1 bill. Why, why is that $1 bill worth 100 pennies, 100 cents? Because in our society, our government has assigned that value to it. So I can look at a at a one dollar bill, and I can look at a fifty dollar bill, which I haven't seen in some time. But if I had one, I could look at it. I can look at a one dollar bill and a fifty dollar bill, and and you know you look at them, and they're, they're both the same size. They they both have the same basic layout, coloring. I mean, you might look at the fifty dollar bill and say it doesn't look like it's worth any more than this one dollar bill to me. But our, our government has assigned greater value to it. Even, even natural things, even things like diamonds, what makes a diamond so valuable? Well, it's true that there's, I would say there's an inherent beauty about them. God has, God has uh, uh, through the process a diamond is made and, and you know, the way that it comes out, God has just blessed us with a, with a certain kind of beauty there in a diamond. But what really makes... 
Again, in, in our society, a dime is so valuable. It's, it's the value we've assigned to it. For whatever reason, people look at a diamond and, and recognize, uh, in most cases, that's prettier than a piece of coal. And so they're not going to pay you nearly as much for that piece of coal as they are for the diamond. We've assigned value to that diamond ring. We've assigned value to the cars. Uh, and I might add, to our, <laughs> to our own hurt. I mean, we place so much value on cars that the people who make them have been able to just skyrocket the prices. And, and so we've shot ourselves in the foot there. Uh, with you know things like cars and and uh, other possessions, but the value is assigned. It has no real inherent value. Jesus, the value of Jesus is inherent. It's not because we we sat back and evaluated him and said, hmm, you know, I think he's worth this much. I think he's worth this much. Now the world does do that to him. Some say, well, he has he has some worth as a moral teacher. He has some worth as an example. But that's not how the Christian, that's not how the born-again person views Jesus Christ. What has happened to us is, God has opened up to us a hidden treasure and given us a glimpse, and I'm not saying by any means that we fully, that we fully grasp this truth, but to some degree, God has given us a glimpse at the infinite value of Christ. I'm going to show you here in a moment that part of preaching the truth is, is talking about realities like hell. And I don't want to downplay that, but at the same time, part of the work that the Holy Spirit does in a person is to show you the infinite value and majesty of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, yes, you may be thankful to escape Hell, I, mean, I hope you are, and I'm thankful to escape hell. But at the same time, what about Jesus? Do you value Jesus? Are you longing, looking forward to eternity in His presence? Do you now, do you now acknowledge His presence in your life, and are you thankful for it? Are you aware? Do you desire His presence? Do you see the infinite value of Christ? Not enough to be scared of hell and therefore want to be delivered from it. Although, yes, there's a place for that. But we must love the Savior. And by the way, this is one of the things that appears to be to be void um, that, that much of the literature out there today, especially concerning heaven, uh, appears to be void of. In other words, there's talk about getting to heaven because it's going to be such a great place. But then it's described oftentimes in uh, very materialistic ways, you know, the ultimate fishing hole, the ultimate retirement, the ultimate, whatever it is you like, that's the way people 
oftentimes think of it. Or just, you could probably just boil all of that down to this. The ultimate comfort for me. You know, once, once I get there, it's going to be, it's, it's, it's the ultimate retirement plan. John Piper said one time, this is not an exact quote because I don't have it in front of me. I'm going on memory here. John Piper said one time, if, if you imagine heaven as a place where you can be happy without Jesus, then you are most likely not going there. Heaven for us is to be in the presence of Christ forever. Alright, so, God opens our eyes to the infinite value of Christ. And this is seen in both of these parables. First, there's a man in a field. He stumbles on a, uh, appears to stumble on a hidden treasure here. And what's his response? Because he, because he sees the value of it, he says, I've got to have this. He doesn't, he doesn't own the field. I mean, Jesus doesn't give us all the detail. Why is he in the field? Why is he, you know, how does he stumble on it? The point is just this. He doesn't own it. And now that he sees the treasure, he's passionate about having it. He says, I, I have to have it. I have to have this field. I have to have that treasure at all costs. That treasure becomes more valuable to this man than everything else that he has. He goes and sells all that he has and buys that field so that he can own that treasure. And then similarly, it's the same point. In the, although the details differ a little, the same point in the second parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. The picture here is probably of a man buying and selling pearls all the time, but now, he's, he, now he comes up on one that nothing else compares to. And just like the first man, he says, I've got to have it. He, he realizes the value of that pearl and it's worth selling everything so that he can own that pearl. That's the main point of the first two parables. The infinite worth of Jesus Christ. Now, I know. You say, well, now, wait a minute. It doesn't say Jesus is like treasure hidden in the field. It doesn't say Jesus is like a pearl of great price. But that's, that's what it's talking about. I mean, Jesus defines the kingdom of heaven. I mean, it's, it's the kingdom of the king. <laughs> he is the treasure uncovered. He is the pearl of great price, infinite value. The third parable. Again, the kingdom of heaven. This is verse 45. Verse, uh, I'm sorry, verse 47. Kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore, sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. Now, let me stop there for just a moment. It, it, Jesus has 
it appears to have, Jesus has appeared, appears to have shifted meanings here, right? He does. He's, he's emphasizing something different here. He's not totally off subject. Hopefully I'll uh, be able to point that out in a moment. But he is emphasizing something different here with another simile. So where the first two is talking about the great value of the kingdom of God, and uh, as I said, by implication, the infinite value of Jesus Christ, he has, he has to be more valuable to us than anything else. Now, this parable is, is uh, emphasizing something else about the kingdom. And it's very similar to the par- to larger parables that we talked about earlier. The parable of the sower and the parable of the wheat and the tares. It has the same basic point. Same, same main point as those. It's also similar to them in this sense that Jesus Himself explains it. So this is another one of those places where we have not only the parable, but we have an exposition of it by our Lord. So there's no doubt as to what each thing represents here. So here again uh, is the parable. Kingdom of Heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea, or a dragnet, you may, your version may say. And gathered fish of every kind. That's, that's part of the main point. Gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, verse 48, men drew it ashore, sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. Again, very important. Now, Jesus gives the explanation, verse 49. So it will be at the close of the age. The angels will come out separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Very sobering words. So, the main point of the uh, first parable was the infinite worth of Jesus. The main point of this one is the certainty of of righteous judgment. Or you could say just judgment. The certainty of righteous judgment. It's similar to the other two that I mentioned in this way. That is the parable of the sower and the parable of the wheat and the tares. It describes for us um, the kind of intermingling of the true kingdom children, children of the kingdom, and of the false, or that is, the children of the enemy, children of the devil in this world. Now, I I, I think one thing that's really helpful, and I've tried to point this out before with the other two parables. Remember, Jesus is talking, talking to a crowd here, but He is uh, uh, answering the opposition of the Pharisees and the scribes. So when he talks about bad ground versus good ground in the parable of the sower, or when he talks about bad seed versus good seed in the parable of the wheat and the tares, that's what he has in mind. True believers represented by the good seed are the good ground, and hypocrites represented by the bad seed are the bad ground. So, for example, in the parable of the of the ground, the parable of the sower, 
You've got three types of bad ground representing bad ground. In other words, they're all bad ground, but three different types. Uh, that by the wayside, that among stone, you know, stony ground, and then uh, the thorny ground where the thorn bushes are. But all of those represent people who are not genuinely saved, though they may give some appearance of salvation. Uh, in fact, a very convincing appearance of salvation, which, uh, which, you, which really, that truth really comes out in the parable of the wheat and the tares. It takes a while for them to be discovered. Um, so, hypocrites and the truly saved. And it's the same thing in the wheat and the tares. Good seed planted by uh, the Lord, and then the bad seed planted by the enemy, the devil, children of the devil. And they, they spring up together. And in the parable, the servants come to the Lord of the harvest and say, do you want us to remove the tares? And he says, no, 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 don't do that. Let them grow side by side till the harvest. And then the reapers will come and separate them. And the wheat, he says, will be gathered into my barn and the tares will be burned. That's, that's the same message you have here, except a dragnet is used. Again, verse 47, The kingdom of heaven is like a net or dragnet that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. That's what he's saying, good and bad. Fish of every kind. Now, the church, the church is made up of people, of all people groups, all ethnicities, all cultures. Extremely important for us to remember. But I don't think that that's not Jesus' point here. When He says, gathered fish of every kind, He means good and bad. In other words, those that are representing those that are truly saved and those that are not, which you have uh, represented literally by the scribes and Pharisees before Him and, and the Jews in general who did not accept Jesus. Religious people, but rejected Christ. We're not obedient to Him. Alright, so the dragnet gathers fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw the bad away. Now here's where the separation takes place. So just like in the, in the parable of the wheat and the tares, at the close of the age, Jesus says the angels come, and that's when the separation takes place. That's when it'll be manifest who was truly saved, and who was not? Sometimes it's manifest here and now in this life. Sometimes not. Sometimes it's obvious. Sometimes it's not. And certainly this crowd that stood before Jesus were considered to be, to, to use our, our terminology, they were considered to be the saved, the Christians. In fact, you've heard me say it before. I'd take it further than that. These were the conservative evangelicals of the day, so to speak. The conservative, the Pharisees. Well, they were the conservatives. The Bible thumpers. And they did not know God. Now, the people wouldn't have thought that. But Jesus knew that to be true. Nevertheless, He says, the kingdom of heaven is like this. The dragnet is cast out and it gathers fish of every kind, the good and the bad. 
But the separation is going to happen at the judgment. Judgment is certain. Just judgment is certain. We, we may fool people here. We may even fool ourselves here. But we will not fool the Lord. And so he says, at the end of the age, in this parable, um, uh, explaining this parable, he says in verse 49, the angels will come out, separate the evil from the righteous. Again, very similar to the wheat and the tares. In that place, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That is, because of the unbelievers and the hypocrites being condemned. So Jesus is saying there's going to be punishment, there's going to be torment for rejecting his for rejecting him and rejecting his message. Verse fifty one. Now he asked the disciples, Have have you understood all these things? And they did what we often do, they lied. <laughs> all you have to do is read on and you'll find out that they, they, they don't get it. They don't get it for a while. That's okay. I mean, we, we don't, you know, we don't get, it, get it near as much as we think we do either uh, most of the time, I'm pretty sure. Um, <laughs> so you really see God's grace at work here, don't you, with the disciples, uh, just like with us. Have you understood all these things? And they say, yes. And he said to them, now here comes another parable, parable number four. <laughs> Therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. Now, I have to confess, this one has been the most puzzling for me. And uh, I don't think I'm alone there. At least I, I know in uh, the, the study I've done, I've, I've, it's one of those times where a lot of times when you look at the writings of other people, uh, a lot of times, you know, you may look at a good commentator and, uh, and, and go, wow, well, why didn't I see that? Man, that's, that's awesome. And then there are a lot of times you read them and you say, that doesn't help. I mean, that doesn't get it. I don't, I don't think he understood it any better than I do, or, or else I'm just so blind to it that he understood it, and I still can't see it. Um, so you're disappointed. But uh, this kind of the way it's been with this one. It's been kind of, kind of difficult um, and I've, I've always kind of taken this uh, in, in this way, that, that Jesus was saying, therefore every scribe, referring to the actual scribes there. You know, we, we read about the scribes and the Pharisees. The scribes were experts of the law, the Mosaic law. And, I, and I've always thought that he was kind of saying that this. If, if a scribe is saved... In other words, if, if one of these scribes who opposes me here is regenerated, if he's saved, if he comes to faith in me, then he's going to be like this. He's going to be like uh, the master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. Whereas right now, basically, he only, stand, only understands the old. But if he would come to faith in Christ, he would understand the new and the old. And, and a, a, if that were the right interpretation, which I, I do think it comes very, very close, 
But if that were the right interpretation, a great example would be the Apostle Paul. He, he was trained under the feet of, at the feet of Gamaliel, famous Jewish rabbi. Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was an expert in Mosaic law, and he was serious about it. He had that wealth of knowledge. I mean, all the Jews had a good working knowledge of the Old Testament. They were trained it all their life, but these guys went much further, much more serious about knowing God's Word. And Paul had that. And then, and then he's saved. You know, he meets, meets, meets Jesus on the Damascus Road. And now his eyes are open to how that is fulfilled in Christ. Well, that's, that's close. Now, let, me, let me just alter that just a little. Every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. I do think he's saying here, um, every scribe, just meaning those who are trained up in the church, in the new covenant. Those who are trained up as teachers like the scribes of the old. The, the, the word scribe just means one who writes, and it's, it's used in various ways. But for the Jews, it meant the lawyers, the experts of the law. So now, I think what he's saying is, uh, if you take a person trained up in the kingdom of God, that is, an expert of God's Word, what we call the New Testament, then he's going to be like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. Meaning this, similar to what I was saying about Paul, meaning this, that he, that he understands the Old Testament, but he also understands how it is fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. So he understands the Old, Mosaic Law, the Psalms and the Prophets, all the writings, and he understands the New, the revelation of salvation through Jesus Christ. The implication is the Pharisees, the scribes, the Jewish people of that day, they don't understand that. So he's telling his disciples, you'll understand that. You'll be a scribe trained for the kingdom of heaven. And in that sense, you'll be like, here's the parable, like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. So how do, how do all these, just in, in closing real quick here, how do all these parables come together? There, I think there is kind of a, 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 a continuity here. Well, I'm sure there is. Whether or not I got it right, <laughs> or anybody else got it right, I'm sure there is, in the things that Jesus spoke. But here again in this final parable, in his distinction between new and old, the scribe of the new kingdom versus, or rather the scribe of the kingdom of heaven versus the scribes before him in the Jewish religion, he's making a contrast between the hypocrites who don't get it And those who are truly saved. The scribe who's been trained 
for the kingdom of heaven. And he brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. That is, he understands, again, how these things are fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus Christ. He, he sees, he sees the infinite value of Christ. There, there, again, is a distinction here between those, and this is kind of where the rubber meets the road application. Those who saw Christ, the scribes and the Pharisees and the Jews before Him, people all around us today, those who saw Christ but did not see His infinite worth. And they, they may be instructed well in the old. They, they may know the Bible. They may quote. They may be very religious. But they, but they don't value Christ. They're the bad ground. They're the bad seed planted by the enemy, the devil. But the good ground, the good seed, the children of the kingdom, are those who have been trained in the kingdom of heaven. And their treasure, out of their treasure, they bring what is new and old. They have not just surface religion, not just you know, go through the motions religion, but true affection, commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's, that's the distinction. For, for them, He's a treasure worth selling everything. To the, to the scribes, to the others who are not trained in the kingdom, yeah, they're satisfied with the field they have. They're satisfied with their own pearls that they assign value to while they pass up the infinite inherent value of Jesus. In other words, the difference is in perspective who we understand Jesus to be and whether or not we see that gaining Christ is worth losing everything else. For those, for those people, for those who see the infinite value of Christ, for those who understand that gaining Christ is worth the loss of all else, by God's grace, we can say truly, it is well with my soul. Precisely because there's no value in here, in me. but because He is all valuable. Is it well with your soul this morning?
it well with your soul? If the trumpet sounded today, if the Lord descends today, what would be the outcome for you? If you stood before the Lord today, and we all will, maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but at some point we all will. It's appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. But just for the sake of examination, if it were today, can you say it's well with your soul? Are you trusting in Jesus Christ? Not in self, not in your own religiosity, not in your own accomplishments or self-worth, but are you trusting totally, completely, solely in the person of Christ, the person and work of Christ? Do you see the infinite value of knowing Him So that you can say like Paul, everything else is lost to me. Things that meant so much. Now it's just a, a pile of manure to me. I count it all as lost that I might gain Christ. That I might know Him. Count it all lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, my Lord. Would you stand? This life is short. Job said it's full of trouble. Man's days are few, full of trouble. And it's like the smoke that flies upward. It's, it just kind of appears for a little while. It's there for a little bit. And then before you know it, it's gone. In my own experience, it's, it's like it takes forever to get to 18 years of age. <laughs> and then... Somebody hits the warp speed button. It's, it's a vapor. Here for a few seconds, relatively speaking, and gone. What are you, what are you valuing? The here and the now? What are you investing in? Worldly things? Or are you investing in eternity? Are you valuing Jesus above all things? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for Your Word and for the exhortation that it provides for us. And Lord, thank You for Your Spirit indwelling us, empowering us, enabling us. And we pray, let us not be in love with the things of this world. Let us not overvalue them. We say that because we know that we do, because we know that we're prone to that. 
Lord, use Your truth, Your Word to, to sanctify us and truth to set us apart, to release our affections from things that are here for a moment. And set our affection on You, on Christ. May it be that our, that our minds are set upon heavenly things. Things of real, inherent, infinite value. Things eternal. And Lord, may, may this life, my life, and the life of all in this room, this life that's, that's here for just a short time and gone, May it be spent with eternity in view so that we live in such a way as to bring good to brothers and sisters in Christ, salvation to the lost, and glory and honor and praise to You. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. This sermon is made available through the ministry of Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our desire is to faithfully proclaim the message of salvation which God has provided in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. For more resources and information, please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org. You may use the links there to contact us or write us at Fillmore Baptist Church, 6304 Highway 80. Princeton, Louisiana, 71067.